Well, good morning, church. So good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. Come on, are you glad you came? Amen. Does anybody have any expectation for what God might do today? Man, there is a lot happening. My goodness, it's been a full weekend. Yesterday, we hosted a conference here for uh, teachers, educators all over this region. They were here all day yesterday, had a great event. And uh, as you just heard in the announcements, man, it's going to be not only a full, uh, a full Monday with Fall Fest tomorrow, but also a full Tuesday as we get ready to launch our pop-up church over at the Columbia Market House. So excited for what God's going to do. Let me just say to you, and I don't want you to miss it, this might be revival. Now, I I just, you know, how many times have you sat around and reflected on the good old days? And we don't acknowledge it until they're good and old. But, you know, I want you to think for a minute, and, and this isn't my message today, but the Lord just made this so clear in my prayer time this week. I want to share this with you, that... Oftentimes we look at, you know, well, let's say it like this. If, if we had scheduled a guest speaker for these three days, if we had brought in some guest speaker, you know, I heard somebody say anybody from more than 50 miles away is an expert, right? Like I can, I can preach a three-week series on something and, and then a guest speaker comes in and he talks about the same thing for 20 minutes and everybody comes to the altar. And I'm like, what's that? No, in all honesty, I joke about that. I don't begrudge those moments. I recognize that that God uses vessels in unique ways. But if somebody came in, and we spent all day today, and all day tomorrow, and, and Tuesday night, and we were here, we might call that revival. We might advertise that as revival. But what is revival? I want to give you a definition. I had to remind myself this week. A revival is an awakening in our hearts. It's restoration to life, to be revived. I'm going to show you a scripture in Isaiah, and you can just leave Isaiah 57, 15 up on the screen for a few minutes. This is what the Lord says. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, he says this. The high and exalted one who lives forever, his name is holy. He says I live in a high and a holy place, but I also live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God says in this verse, he says, I live to bring revival. I live to revive spirits. I live to revive hearts. That's who I am. Can I just say to us, church, revival is not something we attend. It's someone we attain. It's the spirit of the living God resuscitating the life of God back into the church. And who gets it? This verse tells us who gets it. It's the lowly. It's the humble. It's the contrite. It's the broken. It's not those that presume on God. It's it's not those that feel entitled towards the things of God. I already told you this isn't my sermon today, but it's starting to feel like it. So help me preach this. God wants to show up and inhabit those who are humble and broken before him. I love 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to see if there's any who, whose eyes are on him, any who are hungry for his presence, any in whom he can strengthen. Who is it? It's those that are fully committed to him. 
And often in a church culture, in a church context, when we talk about revival, what we're actually talking about is God doing the thing that God always does in individual hearts and lives, except he does it collectively for a whole group, right? I mean, there's nothing different about a, a revival in the church than one in your own heart, except for the fact that when it hits the church, everybody's included. So how do you get revival? You get humble. You come before him with a contrite and a broken heart. You come before him. He's looking for someone whose eyes are on him. Somebody fully committed to him that he can strengthen them. Church, what I want you to know this morning is we are revival. That, that's why I can declare this might be revival what God's doing I know sometimes we might have our stereotypes of what it looks like oh it's it's a guest speaker it's a series of services it, it happens you know on the weeknights I, I don't know what your context is but the word of God says that he lives to revive your spirit and my spirit and your heart and my heart and if we qualify as the humble as the broken as the contrite we are revival we are the revived so I want us to pray for this week. It doesn't look like a revival. I don't have a guest speaker tomorrow night. It's an outreach. We're not even going to have a platform or a microphone. We're not going to preach to anybody tomorrow. We're just going to love the community at this Fall Fest. And then on Tuesday night, we're going to take some of our teams over to Columbia, and we're just, we're just going to bring the gospel. We're just going to preach. We're going to have church. We're going to worship. We're just going to just pour the oil out, let it splash on some folks. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So that's what we're doing. That's po what's pop-up church. It's a, I, was at, uh, I was at the Columbia Market House on Saturday. Val and I, she was getting some footage. We shot a couple videos. And I walked by one of those vendors, and, man, they get me every time. She was like, you want a free sample? You know I do. Am I a red-blooded American man? What a dumb question. Yes, I, yes, I just ate. Yes, I want a free sample. And she gave me the most amazing Brazilian piece of fudge I've ever eaten. I know it, maybe it's too early to appreciate that, but maybe not, right? I mean, when is fudge wrong? I bought a box. No, for my wife. I'm, I got priorities. She got me on the experience. That's what we're bringing to the Columbia Market House. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. He's good. We're going to sing about it. We're going to testify about it. We're going to open up this book, and we're going to proclaim it, that he's good, that he's good to you, that he knows what you're going through, that he knows what you're facing. So I want to ask you right now. I asked Patrick to just kind of help me set the atmosphere. You're seated. You can stay seated. But can we just shift into a moment of intercession together? And here's what I know before we pray. While we have a lot of stuff going on in the church world, a lot of things happening in the church, you're here this morning not because of any of those things. You're here because you got your own stuff going on. You got your own relationship with the Lord. Maybe, maybe you've got a, a, a lot happening in your world right now. Let's pray that, that God doesn't just move on Monday night or, or on Tuesday night, 
but that God shows up and breathes life into these weary bones this morning. Father, right now, all over this room, we just lift our voices together in concert. Lord, as they did in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room, they all prayed in one accord. Lord, you're not confused by a, a, a verbal barrage coming your way this morning. You hear every thought. You know every need before we even say it. But God, in this moment, we lift our voices. We lift our hearts. Lord, we lift our hands to you. We seek you today, Lord. We cry out for revival to come. And may it come as it always does to your people first. God, find in this house this morning broken hearts, humble hearts, Lord, not, a, not an entitled spirit, not an arrogant spirit, not a presumptuous spirit. God, this morning, Lord, would you meet your people at their point of need? God, would you just come into this place right now? Touch your people, God. Even as the woman with the issue of blood pressed through the crowd and touched you, when she touched the hem of your garment, Jesus, you said, power flowed out from me. Not because you were reaching, but because she was. God, we reach for you this morning. If you have a need today, just reach out in faith right now. God, we reach for you. And God, we pray for this outreach tomorrow night. Our 10th annual Fall Fest. God, we pray that families that have never come before would come and experience the love of Jesus on this campus. Lord, those that have never served before would come and find fulfillment and purpose in the most simplest acts. Lord, you said even a cup of cold water is, that's given in your name, Lord. It matters. God, whether, whether, it's, whether it's praying for someone in a prayer tent or, or serving someone a cup of apple cider, God, we pray that you would use us to impact this community with the love of Jesus. Lord, you've called us to build bridges so that people who are far from God can go from where they are to the place you want them to be. Lord, use us to build bridges to this community, to this surrounding area. God, we pray for this Tuesday night outreach in the month of November. Lord, I pray you bless these Tuesday nights. God, that there are people that, that know nothing of church except funerals and weddings that are gonna stumble into a community place and they are going to watch in bewilderment, just like those crowded on the day of Pentecost did in Acts 2. It says people came in bewilderment, but they came. And they experienced the manifest presence of God. Lord, we ask for your presence to move, to move in that gathering. Lord, let, let that marketplace become a holy place. Because the presence of God lives in the people of God. And we bring revival wherever we go. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen. 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 I, I wish I had my phone on me. I would have taken a picture in that moment. I wish you all could have seen my little buddy Cooper up here that's sitting next to Pastor Chris. I love you, Cooper. When we started praying, he went down on his knees and put his hands in front of him. And I thought, God, give us that posture of humility as a church. Amen. Love you, buddy. So proud of you. Second sermon. Are you ready? Uh, every, every Tuesday night at Pop-Up Church, we're going we're gonna to be borrowing a theme from a national 
media campaign called He Gets Us. Have you seen the ads maybe at the ballparks uh, during the playoffs or you've seen commercials on TV? He Gets Us is the biggest um, Christian media campaign in, in the history of history. $100 million has been spent with one purpose, to just reintroduce our culture to Jesus. And so each night of the pop-up church, we're going to just play a little video that just kind of puts Jesus in a different light. We want to pique people's interest, and then we're going to lead them to the foot of the cross. I believe all roads lead to the cross and through an empty tomb. How about you? And so we want to introduce people to Jesus. So this morning, I thought it'd be good to just show you a sample. This actually isn't even one of the videos I'm going to use, but I want to show this one to you. You can go ahead and play that. A caring man took a walk. Everywhere he looked, people suffered. Anxiety ran high. Hope dwindled. Hatred rose. His neighbors had lost trust in the system and in each other. I need to do something, he thought. I'll bring them together and feed them. Around the dinner table, they can talk and see how much they have in common. Shared struggles, shared joy, shared pain. So he prepared a feast and invited all into his home. But some refused to sit at his table because they chose to only see differences. He was heartbroken because he wanted everyone to eat and be filled, not with food and wine, but with compassion. This morning, church, I want to talk to you about the dinner party. I love that thought that Jesus invites and welcomes all to the table. If you have your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. This is one of the parables of Jesus He said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. We ought to be about the kingdom. We ought to be focused on the kingdom. And thankfully, we don't have to just walk in blind faith. Jesus gave us snapshots in many of his parables of what the kingdom of God or what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, let me just say before we get into this, this snapshot is probably not one of the favorite snapshots. Now, there are some parts of this that we're all going to like and we're going to love, and then there are some parts that are going to make you scratch your head. In fact, many scholars have read this parable and, and, and had much debate. They've scratched their heads about it. There are some parts of this parable that, honestly, most Christians just don't even like. Other Christians, I'm sure, but I'm just telling you, like... Because it doesn't fit into our perspective of what God is like and and what he's supposed to be like. So here's what I decided to do. I'm just going to give you all the parts that we like first. (laughs) And then we'll chew on the tough meat together. Or maybe you'll get lucky and like what happens sometimes, I'll preach too long on the fun stuff. And then you're just going to have to wrestle with the Holy Spirit and your, uh, you know, Bible commentaries on the tough stuff. Now, I'm going to try to cover all 13 or 14 verses here in Matthew 22. And I want you to just see it beginning in verse 1, Matthew 22. Jesus spoke to them again, again, because this is the third parable in a trilogy of parables. So if you really want to understand all of it, you got to read chapter 21 as well. But this is sermon number three for Jesus, number two for me. He spoke to them again in a parable saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet 
for his son. Now, let me just say, parables are meant to shock you a little bit. Like, that's the idea of the story. Jesus would tell a story to kind of flip the script on how everybody perceived a relationship with God to be or how everybody perceived the kingdom of God to operate. This was another one of those moments. And he's going to say some things, again, that we love here. This is easy stuff. We understand the king is God. And he prepares a wedding banquet for his son. Anybody want to guess who the son is in the story? It's Jesus. Not a trick question. That's right. Jesus is the only son. And so he says he prepares a feast for his son, a wedding feast, which is a, a, a metaphor that's used all throughout Scripture of our relationship with God, that we are, that he's the bridegroom, that we are the bride, that there's going to be a, a wedding in heaven, and, and that we're coming to the banqueting table. This is that scene yet again on the lips of our Savior. Verse 3, he says, he sent his servants, the king did, sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So, tracking together so far, this is a royal party, not just any party, this is a royal wedding. A lot of pomp and circumstance. The king is God. The son is Jesus. Now, here's what you need to know about the culture. In this cultural context, it was pretty common that you would get two invitations to a wedding. And, and we still do that to do today. Like, the first invitation is like the save the date. Like, it's coming. Just know it's coming. He proposed. It's going to happen. We're excited. We had a friend take pictures. We ordered some stock photos off Shutterfly. Like, we're... It's coming, save the date, but then you get the actual invite. It's got the time, it's got the location, they want to know how many people you're bringing. And so it was customary in this day to get two invitations. But what's interesting about this king, what's interesting about our God, is that he sends four invitations. And this right here is a picture of our God abounding in grace towards us. Listen, if you're here this morning and, and you're a person that you've started and you've stopped and you committed and then you broke your commitment, you said, God, I'll never, but then you did again. I want you to know you serve a God who has a lot of invitations. And he's sending his invitation out again this morning. This is the, this is the God we serve. Look at uh, verse 4. Because with this invitation now, they, they, they didn't. They didn't receive the first two invitations. You say, wait, there was only one. No, there was two. Because verse 3 says he sent the servants out to those who had been invited. So when the story starts, there was already one invitation on the fridge. So, so now they've already gotten two invitations. And then it says in verse 4, he sent some more servants, and he said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. Like, they didn't reply yet, so let's tell them what we're going to have. This is going to be a great party. You should come. My oxen and my fattened calf have already been butchered. Everything is ready. Don't you hate when you go to, like, a reception and the wedding party takes forever with their photos, and you're just sitting around? God's like, this is not that kind of party. Everything's ready. Just come. The DJ's already spinning tracks, like you can come now. That's a different translation, but I just added that in there. And so far, this is not hard to understand. This, this is what we love about God. 
He's the God who sends invitations time and time again. He's the one who prepares a great feast for his son. He invites us all to the party. And because he's full of grace, because he's rich in mercy, he sends more invitations. He gives us the opportunity to smell the food. He gives us the opportunity to hear the music. He gives us stories like this and experiences like we have in church to say, you can come now. You can taste and see. Food is on the table. Now I'm going to skip verse 5 and through 7 because nobody likes it. And we're going to go to verse 8. Verse 8 says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out again into the streets And they gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. That's the heart of God. He's like, I just want, I want my table full. I want my house full. I don't care what they look like. I don't care where they came from. I don't care where their background is. I'll take the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll take them all. Like just just get somebody to come into my house. And it says, so they went into the streets. The streets is where the main thoroughfare was. It's also the place where the beggars and the lame and the crippled would sit waiting for a handout. He says, yeah, go get them. Go to the streets. But the streets were also the place where where the, the merchants and the business travelers would go. And so he says, go after the good and the bad. And that's a picture of the gospel church, that Jesus welcomes all to the table. The first two invitations, if you're kind of parsing out the context of this story, the first two invitations came to Israel. And it's really a picture. It says in verse 3, go to those who have already been invited. He's talking about the people of Israel. It's not a surprise there's a coming Messiah. They had Abraham. They had Moses. They had the prophets. I mean, they they had already been invited. They had the whole Old Testament to tell them about the Messiah. And he says, now go to them. That's Israel. Both the first invitations came to them. The third invitation in verse 4 declared everything is ready. That's really the invitation that John the Baptist brought. When he came preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. Like, it's here. It's time. He's the only prophet, the greatest prophet, the first one that was able to not just say the king is coming, but he was able to point his finger at Jesus and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's right there. It's ready. Come to the banquet. The fourth invitation that we just read in verse 9, that's to the good and the bad. That's to those in the streets. Guess who that is? That's us. (laughs) That's us. I don't know if you call yourself the good or the bad. I'll leave that between you and Jesus in a moment of honesty this morning. But that's us. The gospel came to us. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first. A lot of times we don't quote this part of the verse. And then to the Gentile. So so there's a, a priority here. The gospel went to the Jews first, but thank God it went back out into the street. It came to us. The invitation goes out indiscriminately. It's a whosoever will may come gospel. Aren't you thankful that that John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so loved the wealthy, or for God so loved the 
the Jews. No, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Paul said in Colossians 3.11, here there is no Jew or Gentile, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he is in all. And then in Revelation, we get a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And and here's what John the Revelator tells us in chapter 7, verse 9. He says, after this, I looked, and there before me, he's getting a picture into heaven. He says, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. That's that fourth invitation. Standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes. Now, that's really important. Keep that in your mind. Everyone at the banquet is wearing white robes. And they're holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You don't know anybody today that's disqualified from this party. No one. Because that's who our God is. Because he just, he keeps going. He keeps going. In fact, Luke tells a very similar parable. Not the same parable, but Jesus repeated these stories and and. and, Luke chapter 14 records a different time that Jesus, he kept talking about the invitations going out, like go get more people. And it says in Luke 14, here's the reply. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room. There's still room. And look at the reply in verse 23. Then the master told the servants, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. Compel them to come in. Why? So that my house will be full. And if we're honest today, we have to to say the same thing that those servants said. There's still room. There's still room. There's room right here. There's room right here. There's room in your neighborhood. There might be room in your car. There's still room in your house for more people to be saved. And and, and if we're saying to God, I acknowledge there's still room, you got to acknowledge what he's saying to you. Compel them. Like, go after them. Do whatever you can do. Why? Because I want my house to be full. H.L. Hendricks once said he could not find a single verse of Scripture that commands a lost person to go to church. But he could quote numerous Scriptures that call the church to go to a lost world. Our evangelism strategy is not, don't miss it. Because for a lot of the church, that's all it is. It's a social media post. Join us, 8.30, Sunday morning. Don't miss it. That's not evangelism. That's marketing. And hey, if that's the culture we live in, I will leverage marketing for all we can do. But we're not hanging our hat of the gospel hope on Facebook posts, church. We gotta compel the lost to come in, amen? Come on, it's on us. And this whole story revolves around the activity of obedient servants. Like, think about it. If the servants don't go out with the first, the second, the third, the fourth invitation, we don't have a story. We don't have anybody at the banqueting table. And so this is what we love about this story, that that God is a God of grace that says, whosoever will may come. And we love that he just continues to reach out to those that are down and out and destitute, those in the highways and the byways and the country lanes, those farthest from God, they get an invitation because the invitation still goes out. We love that about the Lord. There's some other stuff in this story that is a little tougher to chew. 
So let's back up to verse five. This is right after the fourth invitation went out. This is after the king has already said, hey, look, you can smell the food. You can hear the music. You can come and experience. It's ready. Come now. It says in verse five, but they paid no attention and they went off. One to his field, another to his business. Notice that these are not evil things. These, these people are like, they were, all, they were off gambling. They were off living in sin. They were committing adultery. No, 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 they're, they're, not, they're not doing evil things. They're just doing other things. One of the greatest weapons of the enemy is distraction. Can I just tell you, he doesn't care. He doesn't, you don't have to become an anarchist. He doesn't care that you don't show up at the church of Satan on Sunday morning. Like, he doesn't care who you serve so long as it's not the living God. You can serve yourself. You can serve the booster club. You can serve your kids' up-and-coming sports career that we know how that's going to end, but you can do that. Like, like we were all superstars once. Athletes or mathletes or something, and like Satan will let you sell your soul. It's a, it's a buffet, whatever you want. He's not picky. As long as it's not the Lord. They were distracted. They paid no attention, it says. Jesus talked about the, the seed of the word when it goes forth in Matthew chapter 13. And he said, Some of the seed it fell on thorny soil and he explained the seed falling on the thorny soil refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful when Jesus gave the parable of the wise and the foolish builder and he said the wise builder built his house on the rock the foolish builder built on the sand what differentiated them was not that one heard the gospel and one didn't not that one experienced storms and the other didn't they all got all of that the difference was he says the wise builder is the one who hears the word and applies the word who hears it and does it he puts it into practice so, so this, this parable, it communicates that, hey, this banqueting table, as you saw in the video, all are welcome at his table. And we love that. But it also is a message to the religious elite of the day. Those that thought they had it all together. Those that had no hurry, no urgency to reply to the invitation. In fact, if I told you this is the first of are the third of three parables that Jesus kind of stacks to paint a clearer picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. If you back up to Matthew chapter 21, verse 45, Jesus actually said, it says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. <laughs> like, you know, Tony Evans said, a, a mist in the pulpit creates a fog in the pews. Jesus was not beating around the bush here. Like he was tagging their feet to the floor. It's, they knew he was talking about them. And it says in verse 46, they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Jesus says here in, in, in the previous parable, he says that the stone that the builders have rejected is actually the most important stone. It's the cornerstone of the whole building. He's like, you've, you've missed the main thing. 
in the first parable that we don't have time to read, but it's the parable of two sons. In Matthew 21, verse 28 to about verse 32, Jesus tells him, he says, there's a father, he's got two sons, and he tells him, I want you to go, and I want you to work in the vineyard. The first son said, I'm not doing that. But then later he changed his mind, and he went to work. The second son said, okay, I'm on it, Dad. But he never got off the couch. And Jesus asked the question, which one of these sons pleased the father? They're like, well, the first one. The one who was a slow starter, but man, he finished strong. Jesus is using these parables to say, you guys, you talk a big game. You guys talk about your service to the Lord. You talk about what you're going to do, but you're not doing, you're not doing what God's called you to do. In, in verse 31 of Matthew 21, Jesus calls them out. Verse 32, he says this, For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. So all those that got the first two invitations, Jesus is saying, look, there's more people coming to the party now. And you still haven't, you still haven't responded. You still haven't obeyed. In verse 43 of chapter 21, Jesus tells them, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So they knew who this was for. I mean, absolutely, this is a parable that says Jesus wants to welcome everybody to the table. Anyone can come and partake of the bread of life, but it's also a parable and a series of parables directed to the people of God who will not fully commit to the work. They won't go into the vineyard. They won't receive the invitation. They won't put their hands to the plow. Can I just challenge all of us today with some of these introspective questions? Are, are you moving? I mean, have you received the invitation? Yes, you're here this morning. Somebody invited you to church at some point in your life. But is it just stuck on the fridge? Or are you actually walking in obedience to the Lord? Are you like that first son? that said, I, I don't really know if I'm going to do this, but then you kind of, you, you caught the experience of a life in Christ and you put your hands to the plow. Or are you like the second son who shows up and makes promises, but you never get off the proverbial couch to do the will and work of God? Look at verse 5 through 7. It says there in chapter 22, they paid no attention. They went off one to his field, another to his business. The rest, it gets better. The rest seized the king's servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, obviously. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. That doesn't sound like the Jesus that says, everybody come to the party. Good, bad, it doesn't matter. Everybody. He got angry and burned their city. He sent his army to destroy those murderers. This feels like a volatile, merciless king. That's why you can't read verse 7 by itself. Because if that's the impression you get of God, it's an incomplete picture. At the same time, if you cut that verse out of the story, it's an incomplete picture. Yes, God gets us. 
do we get him? He sends the servants out. He looks merciless in verse seven, but in verse one through five, he's sending the gospel out. Right now, today, people are like, oh, it's not fair that God would send people you know, to hell that never heard the gospel. He's sending the word out. He's sending over and over and over again, just as he did in the days of Noah. So shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. What did Noah do? God let him preach the same sermon for 120 years. He had one message. It's going to rain. Judgment's coming. Get on board. Pick up a hammer. Help me build this thing. This is the only way of escape. There's one ark of safety. We know Jesus is the fulfillment of that ark. There's one way to be saved, and he's a God of grace, and he's a God of mercy. He's also a God of justice. He's just. So Jesus is calling out the religious leaders here. In fact, if if you flip over a, a page into Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is standing outside of Jerusalem, and in verse 37, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. They knew who he was talking about. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. and You were not willing. You weren't willing. We have to realize is, yes, the invitation goes out. Yes, again and again, no matter what you've done, no matter how far from God you've fallen, his invitation is in your mailbox, but you don't get to choose the time of the wedding. You don't get to choose the timeline, friends. That's why there's an urgency in the church. That's why I preach with such passion. That's why I I purposely bring people to a moment of tension and decision. That's exactly what we're going to do on Tuesday night. We are going to welcome people. We're going to roll out the red carpet. We're going to make them feel really comfortable. And we're going to tell them how much we love them and how much Jesus loves them. And then we're going to make them squirm in their seats until they feel the fire on their feet. Why? Because yes, God is a God of mercy and there's room for any and everyone at his banqueting table, but you don't get to decide when the last invitation goes out. Neither do I. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. So part of the message is grace is available, but judgment is coming. Choose quickly. And Jesus says, you, you, you stoned the prophets You've rejected my message, and here's what's going to happen. Jesus says he's going to send his army to destroy those murderers and burn their city. It was actually a prophecy about something that happened 40 years after he said it. In A.D. 70, General Titus, a Roman general, came into Jerusalem, ransacked the city, burned it with fire, even, even uprooted the stones of the temple, which is another prophecy Jesus said would happen destroyed the city, burning it to the ground. Man, it's after 9.30, and I didn't even get to the hardest part of this story. Aren't you glad I started with the good stuff? Look at verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, so, so now whoever came, came. All the invitations have been sent. Now it's party time. So the king comes in to see the guests, and he notices a man there 
who's not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked him, how'd you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. That's important. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What? So the invite goes to everybody? And when people don't respond, you get mad and you say, I'm just gonna torch the city. I'm gonna bring judgment on you. But finally, some people do come and then you meet a guy who came. Like at the end, like he was just hanging out, you know, in town and somebody's like, hey, the party started. Like the the food's, are you ready? Okay, I'll go. And then he shows up and then the king's like, you didn't dress right. And he gets the same punishment as the people that ignored the invitation. What? Here's what you have to understand. It, it, was, it was expected. It was customary that, that if someone gets invited to a party, that they would be given the proper attire for that party if they didn't have it. So what you understand in the cultural context and everybody that's hearing this story from the lips of Jesus understands that when you get invited to a royal party, you get royal garments. That's why Revelation said everyone at the Lord's table was robed in white. They understood this guy not only got an invitation he didn't deserve, but he was given a garment to wear. And here's what we got to understand about the, the, the clarity of the gospel That Yes, it's a whosoever will may come. All are welcome at the table, but there's only one appropriate attire. And so here's the arrogance of our culture, and here's the arrogance of of this man. He's like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll come to, I'd love to come to that party. Okay, well, great, we're so glad you're here. Here's what we want you to wear. No, I can't, I'm not doing that. I'm my own own man. Don't, don't, no, I, I'm not going to do it the way you, I don't, I don't want to do it according to your plan. I mean, I know it's your party, but I don't, I don't want to dress that way. Don't define me. Don't hem me in. Don't try to make me like everybody else. I'm an original. I'm my own man. I'm my own, I might not even be a man or woman. I'm my own thing. I'm my own person. <laughs> don't try to define me. Don't put me in that. I'm coming to the party, and I'm going to do my own thing. God says, get out of my house. You're not welcome in my party. There's one garment. And the word of God says through the prophet Isaiah what that garment is. Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord, and my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with a garment of salvation. And he has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. In Romans chapter 13, verse 12, it says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and let's put on the armor of light. Let's behave decently as in the daytime. Not carousing in drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Not in dissension and jealousy. Look, that might be what your life was like before you received the invitation. But then he says in the next verse rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ look different dress different act different you've been invited to the king's table and I've prepared a garment for you it is the garment of salvation Jesus said I'm the way I'm the truth I'm the life no other garment fits no other one's appropriate you can come but you better come through Jesus Jesus 
That's the, that's the narrow road. That's the gospel. And verse 12 says the man was speechless. He didn't have an excuse. He didn't have an excuse. He knew what was given to him. He knew what was provided. No shoot, no, uh, no shirt, no shoes, no service. Like it's on the door, right? Like he knew. And he said, no, I like my way better. I'm coming. And Jesus says, no, you're not, friend. No, you're not. You're not coming unless you're robed in the garments of salvation that only Jesus can provide. So this parable, it shows us a loving God. He invites anyone and everyone to the table. And that's kind of the season we're in as a church. We're just gonna, we're just gonna love people. We're gonna let them know there is room for you at the table. But he also shows a people going through the motions, thinking religion is enough. Religion is not enough, friends. Hearing and having an invitation is not the same thing as following the Savior. I'm afraid there's a lot of us like that in the church. Like, we know the message. We, yeah, save the date. I, I'm, I'm good. Are you? This parable is also about rejecting God's offer. And the reason he responds with such hostility is because to reject God's offer is an act of war. Like, there's no middle ground here. Like, we don't stand before God one day and go, I didn't know. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. And, and you're going to be held accountable for what I revealed to you. So I, I just want to pray over us as we end this service today. And I, I just want to remind the church. I know I'm, Maybe you're a person that doesn't know God. And, and the message you need to hear today is, is the message that God is loving and gracious and merciful. And, and even if you've blown it or rejected him, another invitation is here with your name on it. That's the good news. That's the good news. But maybe some of us, we just need to be reminded today through this parable how serious sin is. It was so serious that, that God sacrificed his own son to satisfy the wrath of God. Because yes, he's merciful, but he's also a God of justice. And mercy and the justice of God, they kiss at the cross. It's the place where mercy makes perfect sense. And it's also the place where the justice of God makes perfect sense. How could you satisfy the penalty of sin and still love us? Oh, you paid for it. And we need not forget that. There's one garment that qualifies us to sit at his banqueting table. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you that your word gives us incredible hope and at the same time, a stirring conviction. Lord, we don't want to ignore your invitation. We certainly don't want to think like those religious leaders did that going through the motions of church culture or an American religious experience is the same thing as answering the call. So God, speak to our hearts today in the most specific way. 
by your Holy Spirit. Bring reproof, bring correction, bring encouragement. God, may we all get up in the next couple of moments with, with a renewed grip on the cross of Christ Jesus. May we all get up in a few moments, Lord, with, with a new resolve and a conviction that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Not just lip service, Lord, but obedience. I'll go to work in the vineyard. I'll go out and compel the lost to come in. That your house would be full. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Yeah, let's bless the Lord today.